Okay. Okay. Interesting. Um, so, welcome back to Scientifically Speaking on CornellRadio.com. I'm Shane. I'm Dave. I'm Zach. I'm sometimes Dave. You're always Dave. Am I? In my heart. Okay. What are we talking about today, boys? Today. Babies! Zach and I are going to teach Dave all about babies. And so I think they're pretty gross and weird. Yeah, Dave I'm also just like particularly doesn't like babies for I, some very I mean, odd reason. He's it's the not only odd. Person. It's literally not an odd reason. It's I mean, odd. what would you do if your relatives handed you things that were leaking out of every hole that they had? Would you say that You'd they were like, I don't want to touch this. Scary and slimy? Yeah, and they're fragile as shit. I'd be like, well, it's slippery because it's covered in its own but feces. So and then I'm going to drop it and break it probably. You're definitely talking about like, so this is like a super exaggerated way to talk about babies. They're, They're not like fucking gross. vile all the time. You're just that's wrong. It's not true. <laughs> okay. Anyway, um, whatever. Um, anyway, and we understand that our fellow college students who are listening and hopefully, hopefully won't need this information, this information. Yeah. Currently, but for the future. <coughs> so future. So what um, is a baby? Wait. <laughs> Hold on. So let's just real quickly before we start, I do just want to say um, most of the notes that we have from from t- for today's uh, episode are from a class that Zach and I took. Yeah. Called developmental psychology. It's Psych twenty ninety. So mm-hmm. big shout out, big thank you to um, Professor Goldstein for you know being awesome this. and also providing us with literally all of this information. <laughs> um, so yeah, okay. So what, uh, Zach, do you want to answer the question of what is a baby? A baby is a small, fresh human. Fresh? <laughs> wow! That's an interesting way to describe yeah. a baby. Um, I like anyway, it. So, we, so basically oh, what we're going to talk about... We're gonna, what? Headphones just Did, went dead. They stopped working. No, only one ear works. Only one of his ear cups. That's fine. We don't need both ears. I guess not. Um, so... We're gonna uh, we're gonna talk about today, sort of like we're gonna go from you know we'll talk we'll talk about in utero stuff a little bit too, right? A little so, bit. so we'll talk about a little bit of like fetus life up through like <laughs> the newborn, newborn fetus life, no newborn life as a fetus, newborn life through uh, infants and and probably through like toddlers and then maybe a little bit older, right? Bit. So we're not just talking about babies; we're actually just talking about sort of developmental psychology in general, which is the study of the mind as you grow. Cool. It's, so it's pretty neato. It's okay. pretty cool. There's some so. really hilarious things because babies are episode, great. Because babies are really, really. We're gonna post a lot of like a lot of videos on our blog after babies. this. Babies. And every single one of them is hilarious. <laughs> All right, teach me things about babies. All right. What's first on our list here? About these fresh humans. Do we want to talk about the methods or just go right into an example? Also, fresh humans would um, be a great band name. Let's talk about that's hilarious. Um. Also, every single video I watched from specifically Ainsworth's lab, one of the it's like New York, uh, New York University lab. Um, they always like refer to the test subjects as human babies, mm-hmm. like specifically to like just so you don't get confused and think they're talking about something else while they're showing you a video. It's a raccoon. Of a, <laughs> of a human baby, and and I was watching this with Colleen, and she was really disturbed. She was like, "Why do they keep calling them human babies?" It's freaking me out <laughs> they're also doing experiments on other babies is why <laughs> yeah that's the well, real answer i mean that okay. actually is yeah uh, the real answer that is the yeah. real yeah. answer yeah <laughs> i wasn't kidding i know um anyway so yeah so uh do you want to talk about the methods first yeah, yeah let's let's talk about this so we could just refer to them later <laughs> yeah, <it's pretty> 
<laughs> my microphone just like fell like it just like slowly started drifting downward <laughs> while i was speaking into it uh, no, just like ducked his head to yeah so well let, yeah so zach you want to start <laughs> off with some of the yeah stuff so um you know when you're trying to study babies you can't be like hey little baby did you notice that something changed and because they'll, they'll just look at you and be like I'm a baby. <laughs> I don't know what's going on. <laughs> so <laughs> I am a baby. <laughs> you can't. You can't just ask babies questions exactly. You have to design well, you can. An experiment. You yeah, can. you're, you're not, not going to get a good answer out of it. So you have to when when you're designing these experiments with these little babies, you got to design them in such a way that they can answer your question somehow. Like right. And speech okay. speech doesn't seem to be the way to go. <laughs> yeah. Because they don't really have much of that. Yeah. Yeah. So one of the most common uh, ways of doing this is to use preferential looking, which is interesting. So what happens is you basically track how much time these babies spend looking at something. Okay. So you show them, say, like a red square, right? They'll like look at it for eight seconds maybe, and then they'll look away, and it's like, okay. Then you show them a red square again and look at it for like seven seconds this time because, you know, it's kind of more familiar, so they don't look quite as long. Then you show them a red square, <laughs> and they look at it for like five seconds. They're like, yeah, I get it. It's a red square. Move on already. <laughs> then you show them a yellow square. Oh, it's back up to eight seconds. Suddenly, they're looking at it just as long as they did the first one. Because they got, as they looked less and less at a familiar thing, that's called habituation. They're like, oh, okay. this is familiar. I'm used to this. You change it. Suddenly, they're dishabituated. It's new. It's novel. It's intriguing. They look longer. So Okay, but how... What if you take the red square away and then put it back like 20 minutes? Yeah, so that's, so that's yeah, an important thing. They, like, they will dishabituate after like some amount of time. And I don't actually... Do you know how I don't long, know how long average is? And it's something that like has to be determined like probably for each test subject. But it is something that like is taken into account. And most of these tests are done like over the over the course of like seconds or minutes. Yeah, between... Not, okay. between not, like, like, it'll be like red square. That. Look at it. They look away. They take it away. Give them like five to ten right. seconds. So red square. Basically, the purpose of the studies of like the studies that utilize this is to determine when a baby notices a difference, right? Okay. So if you so like we do something really obvious, like changing from red square to yellow triangle, we notice that they definitely dishabituate because they stare at it for a long period of time. Um, and then you do something more subtle, like change the di like change it from a red square to a maroon square, and you see whether they whether they dishabituate again. Why if they do, just blue. Why then do you, you think maroon is because no, no, because maroon is close to red. Oh, got it. Okay, that's interesting. Then you change it only slightly, and then you see if they dishabituate again. If they do, you can assume that they noticed the difference, and they expect they gotcha. consider this a novel thing. If they don't, you can assume that they didn't notice a difference or didn't find an important difference. Huh. Right. So, so when they are, are cool, we sure? you can actually. Are we sure it's not like a product of whatever the thing is being manipulated that like makes them notice it again? What do you not mean? like the color change? Oh well, yeah. So well, you have to have controls okay. to make sure that like they're okay. there's dishabituating and habituating the same way. But like I've I've yet to see a study that uses dishabituation. At least none of the ones that we refer to use dishabituation habituation without using controls to make sure that like it actually is okay. And usually what they'll do is like leading up to the experiment, they like show them this thing again and again and it very clearly follows the similar pattern of decreased looking time and then they'll show them something they know usually like increases the looking time and like it does that then they habituate them and they show them the thing they actually want it to change and then it goes back up to the original looking time so it's like okay we know they notice this thing do they notice this thing gotcha yeah so you, yeah so you <laughs> make sure they have the same response to both of the changes um 
Okay, cool. What else is there, Zach? Um, another one is for the very, very little ones. This is like literal newborns, yeah. like a few days old. Because they practically can't see for the most part. Yeah, we talked about that. <laughs> yeah, they yeah. Like, Baby vision doesn't kick in until when? When are we? I mean, they, they like start they, to yeah. after like a few days, but it's like, real, it's like yeah. really shitty. You have to be yeah. like, right up in their face and they'll yeah. see like a vague outline. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool. Yeah. So Weird. they use a non-nutritive nipple. Yeah, it's, it's weird. <laughs> it's right? like a little nipple that you put on a bottle. Yeah, yeah. right. Like it's yeah. just like a what are they called? A binky. That's not what it's called, but that's what I called it. When oh, pacifier. Yeah. There yeah. it is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, one time, one of my babysitters, I think, like ripped the binky out of my sister's mouth and threw it behind a couch because she was upset at something. I don't know. Yeah, it was oh pretty God, bad. What? I don't <laughs> know. Uh, aggressive and unprofessional. That's a pretty messed up babysitter. Yeah, she was a pretty. Mean also, why is she a babysitter if she like she hates kids? I think I don't know. She's got upset. She got frustrated with my sister. Anyway, back to pacifiers <laughs> and non-nutritive right. nipples. So you've got this baby sucking on this uh, non-nutritive nipple at a certain rate, right? And I'm never not going to laugh at that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad we have switched positions then. <laughs> yeah, but you laugh at poop jokes. Yeah. At least nipple jokes are a little more like classy. Are they? Yeah. What? Yes. Yeah, okay. absolutely. Yeah, no, that's fair. I see it. Oh, it's fair. Huh? Okay, yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's on my what back. Go. Okay, so... Uh, babies, these newborns, will suck more slowly when they're interested in something they can hear. I'm sorry. I really, it's really bad that, Sucking like, as rate. a scientist, I'm, like, <laughs> still laughing <laughs> at stupid nipple. shit like this. Sucking rate. <laughs> like, come on. So, yeah. Grow up, Dave. So, you know, when they're interested in something, they, it, I guess it's because they sort of get distracted. They're like, ooh, what's that? Right. And they kind of slow down their sucking. And when they're bored, they're just like, suck, 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 suck. That's all they, that's, they're like, I have nothing else to do. I'm just going to Suck on this nipple. <laughs> that it eventually produces milk. I guess it, it, it's, they're not thinking nearly that much. It's like a reflex. Yeah, right? yeah. If, if you put a nipple in a baby's mouth, it just starts you put sucking. Anything. Yeah, there's like oh, a yeah, couple literally. of reflexes they have, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like grasping there's the, is one. There's the, there's the turning the one. Yeah, the head turning one where if mm-hmm. you like brush their cheek, they immediately turn their head, grab whatever you brush their cheek with and start sucking on it, <laughs> which is just like because otherwise they would never know to like try to drink from a nipple yeah. and never get any nutrients. And the other yeah. one, you have the Palmer grass. The nipple's over there. What the hell am I supposed to do? If you like stimulate their palm, they just go grab. Yep. And yeah. Just hang on for dear life. <laughs> yeah. For some reason. <laughs> um, yeah. So those are the main two things they use to tell whether an infant realizes something is different or knows that something is familiar. And we'll get into some specific examples of that. Today. Yeah. Exactly. But so the okay. the important words to remember here are there's the we'll talk about sucking rate. And then the dishabituation. <laughs> Calm down. <laughs> and then okay, the that was funny because it was like, we'll talk about sucking rate. <laughs> and then, uh, that's because, yeah, well, I turned to the side. Um, and then uh, the, the other important word is like dishabituation, which yeah. again is like basically gaining interest again, finding something interesting or noticing a change is usually how it's used. Sorry for the jargon, folks. It's okay. There's only two words. Okay, so uh, what are we starting? <laughs> and one with of side? them is fun. Suck great. Do you want to start with the Mickey Mouse? Experiment? Yeah, I like that one. That's Do you want to talk one. about it? Okay, cool. So there's this El Experimento they did, where they basically had. <laughs> is that the Spanish <laughs> word for that? No. <laughs> okay. I very much doubt it. Um, they have a Mickey Mouse doll, right? And they like, you know, dance it around in front of the baby, like, look, it's Mickey Mouse. It's cool. And the baby's like, sure, yeah, whatever. By dancing around, he means like banging on the table, yeah. like basically. Because babies are like, ooh, that's making a sound. That's interesting. Because they're attracted to sound and motion and things. So you jiggle it, smash it, move it around. So they see clearly there is some kind of 
Mickey Mouse doll thing going on, right? Then they put it behind a screen, and they put another Mickey Mouse doll behind it, right? Some you see some researcher he doesn't he does it again. He shakes Mickey Mouse doll, bangs it around inside of the baby in front of the screen, then puts it behind the screen, making sure the baby is looking the whole time, right? And then you take the screen away. Sometimes when he put that Mickey Mouse doll behind there, he actually put it back there, and there are now two Mickey ball Mickey Mouse dolls. Other times, it, he just put it behind the screen and then moved it out of the way so that when the screen is pulled away there's still only one Mickey Mouse doll like it was kind of a trick like sleight of hand okay right so either so you add this Mickey Mouse doll behind the screen and then when the screen's pulled away there's either one Mickey Mouse doll just like the original or there are two now and so it turned out that um, when they habituated babies to this first Mickey Mouse doll just one and then you put a second one they were like yeah sure whatever they're, huh. they remained habituated. Yeah. Yeah, so they, they didn't they basically didn't find it interesting or novel. Like, Even oh, though yeah. it's a whole second Mickey Mouse right. is just right. like, oh, that's our like, that's you know, Mickey you, Mouse. You put another thing I there, know what he does. He dances around, he gets there. hit on the table, he gets abused. Yeah. So I know what Mickey Mouse. Here's the interesting does. thing. So the interesting though. part is if you put that second Mickey Mouse behind the cloth, pull the cloth away and there's only one Mickey Mouse, the baby goes to fuck and it dishabituates. Yeah. Right. So So it gets that there's two back there. And it's yeah. like, one of them is right. now gone. Yes. So it's like, hmm, babies can count? Right. So this was this was the crazy thing. It was like, it's all of a sudden, because, okay, so we're going to talk about a lot of, like, baby genius studies, right? This is, like, basically, there are so many studies where people are like, look, babies are fucking brilliant. They must have innate knowledge, because, like, how the hell would they know all this stuff, right? Which is pretty amusing, because, like, eight-year-old like not eight-year-old like four or five-year-olds like can't count very well so the notion <laughs> that like three-month-olds could count is like pretty hilarious but so zach is gonna talk about some other stuff regarding this but like basically like this is a baby genius study this is the idea that, like they did this study and they're like oh my god like babies literally know that one plus one equals two and which is crazy yeah. but then yeah. so some other people heard that and were like that seems silly that's kind that of seems stretch. like yeah. a so, huge jump so so Someone else goes, all right, let's repeat this experiment. Instead of using Mickey Mouse dolls, we're going to use these squares in a box, right? So you start off with three squares in a box, and each square has, is a certain size, right? Sure. So each has a certain surface area. Sure. So they habituate this baby to these three squares of a certain size total, right? Um, and then next, they show them one of two things. Either they show them another three squares... Or wait, no, they add. Yeah, I they think it's they start with two, they right? Start with, it's, they start with like three. Oh. And they add to four. Okay, okay. Yeah. So they start with three squares. And then they, the researcher does the same thing adds a square, right? And the baby sees it. Oh, there's a square going in there. Okay, there's something going in there, right? But the next thing they see is one of two things. Either there are four squares, as you would expect, but they're now smaller squares such that the total surface area is the same as the original three squares. Oh, so or, adding, yeah, so yeah. adding the fourth block, oh. right, and results in the same amount of matter visible to the yeah. baby, right? Huh. And or the, the other one is where you add the fourth square, and then you're shown three squares still, but now they're big enough such that the surface area is as if you had added that fourth square. Guess which one they dishabituate to? The, the one with the same surface area, but more squares. No. What? They, what? They, what? Uh, hold on. They dishabituate to the one where the same number of squares. Oh, sorry. Yeah. I'm, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Other way around. They habituated right. to the one. I was right. Yeah. yeah exactly. I just think was thinking of the wrong. Right. Exactly. So they they didn't go 
oh, there are four squares now. I'm interested in this. They went, oh, there's more surface area now. Huh. Or wait, no, what? Sorry, I'm there's being less surface yeah. area. There's so, oh, God. Right. I'm, so, I'm basically, here's what happened. So, yeah, <laughs> yeah. so just going to take over real quick. So, basically, like, th- what was awesome about this study is that they showed that the thing that babies were dishabituating to was inconsistency in the total surface area of what they were looking rather at. than the number of things right. so they up had no notion of quantity they didn't care whether there were two or five things there what they cared about was the size of like the total surface area of those things huh. so if you took three squares added a fourth and that fourth square got distributed over the three such that each of them got slightly bigger that was normal but if you add a fourth square and all of them only add up to the surface area of the original three, that was weird because you added a fourth square and it quote unquote didn't get bigger because it appeared they were basically interpreting it as the same amount of yeah. stuff. So huh. the way they're quantifying amount of stuff is not the number of things, but the total surface area visible. So with the Mickey Mouse thing, when they saw one and were expecting two, they were like, oh, there is f- there is fewer Mickey Mouse Space stuff, yeah. So if they had instead replaced it with a large Mickey Mouse, which potentially, I think some study did at one point. Maybe <sighs> I feel like that'd be hard because like huh. you Mickey, two Mickey Mouse's, Mouse toys. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, maybe, like the, maybe not. Maybe I was thinking about this study. They've so they've done multiple experiments like this. There were some the there was the Mickey Mouse one. There was one where they used like arrays of dots, which had the same problem as the Mickey Mouse one because all the dots were the same size. So every time you added a dot there was an equivalent change in surface area. Gotcha. Right? And then there were other ones that they did, such as this one with squares. Someone did it with, like, Legos. Mm. And then there are other ones... The best toy. Yeah. There are other ones where they tried to do it, like, continuous quantity change, so, like, a liquid increase. So they, like, put some amount of liquid in a cup, covered it, made it, like, a whole show of pouring more liquid in, removed it, and to see if the babies noticed the uh, water level change. And uh, they usually, like, didn't dishabituate in the, the, the water level one was weird. Like, no matter what. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I'm curious about that. I was thinking about that on the way over here, because we'll talk about... We can go into this right next, is the volume conservation. Yeah, yeah, that one's fun. Um, so, yeah, so the next thing that we'll talk about is, like, various levels of object permanence and, like, understanding <laughs> of that stuff. Um, so, but, uh, yeah, one of the things was, like, so, like Zach was saying, when they did this with liquids, the exact same kind of experiment, but, like, pouring liquid into a cup instead of adding another Mickey Mouse behind the screen... Babies didn't seem to dishabituate when, like, you poured water into the cup and then it was the same level of water. Um, but I wonder how much that's related to volume conservation. Because, mm. like, we'll talk about, like, basically, like, if you pour you pour water from one glass into another glass and it looks like more. People They'll think it's more. Children yeah. don't. Yeah. They, well, they don't freak out. It's not like, oh, God, why is there more all of a sudden? But they do perceive it as more than the original one. So I don't know if that might be related somehow. Yeah, the shape of the container, the color of <laughs> yeah, the liquid, exactly. how much they, the difference between how much they added was. Yeah, exactly. It might all be. Because like babies mm-hmm. probably can't understand flow rate of liquids very well. <laughs> oh, that's another interesting thing. I wonder if they really just don't get that there is liquid coming from the first glass into the into second. the second and glass. even then like they can't they probably can't right. make a judgment on the size of the stream yeah. and how tilted the picture oh is. that's interesting no that's that's cool that that actually yeah. is like i think that's a viable hypothesis 
Yeah, because you can see a square being added, and you know exactly, exactly. how much it's was like, just it's like, added. Look, baby, square, square. You see a square? You've seen squares before. Look, it's going in the box with the other right. squares. Whoa. Versus, like, you see that liquid? Here's some more liquid. I'm pouring it. Like, I'm not sure what's happening. <laughs> yeah, there'd be no way to determine. Okay, that's pretty cool. All right, so then the next thing we'll talk about, since I was just talking about it, is um, basically various levels of object permanence. Um, so object permanence is the idea that things don't disappear when you can't see them anymore, right? So um, what's what's sort of amusing really? is that this is not... So, like, everyone's like, hey, duh. But, like, <laughs> actually, newborns don't have this notion. In fact, a lot of infants don't have this notion. It's not something you develop until, like, what is it, like, seven or eight months? Um, and so this is, this is a theory. There are a lot of theories regarding this um, that were all sort of given, like, d- uh, proposed by Piaget. Piaget? Piaget? Piaget. Piaget. Um, it's like really famous, get. really famous developmental psychologist. Um, so, uh, I'll go through the ages really quick. We'll talk about them more in depth. Basically from like zero to one and a half months. As soon as you, if you hide something, it's gone. They don't, the infant's like, Oh, I guess that ball doesn't exist anymore. It poofed <laughs> out of existence. I watched you put it under the blanket, but it must be gone. Um, from, from that point to about four months, they'll sort of orient themselves toward the hidden object as if some part of them is like, I think it's there, but they won't search for it. They're just like, I, I nah, I, like, I lost it. where you put it, but, but like, it's not there it's anymore. There, so which like, we'll talk about with the a, a not B test. There's like some really funny things regarding that. Um, from four to eight months, they'll search as long as the object is only partially hidden. So up to this point, even if you partially hide the object, so like part of it's still visible, they think it's gone. If you completely, if you like completely hide it How? at this stage, they can see part of it, <laughs> but part, part of it, it it's, it's not the whole object. thing. Now that's something different. Oh man. That's yeah. weird. So that's um, weird. Cause they don't have any notion. Well, there's some other studies about this too. They don't have any notion of like something that's partially covered. The other half of it is still there behind it. That's not that, that, that idea is something you literally have to learn. Weird. Um, so also by the way, all the things we're talking about, just like a little preface, like it's all going to be oriented toward the idea that like basically babies have to learn everything, everything. about the world yeah. have like pretty like none to very little knowledge about how to function in the world prior to being here. Like think about it though. Um, They're just sitting in a chair for like five years, just observing everything right. that they can see. Yeah, they have plenty of time to figure it out. Um, and, and there's like, there's the theory theory. We'll talk about a lot of stuff. <laughs> a lot of um, stuff. So, so anyway, so then from 8 to 12 months, right, they'll search for a hidden object, but only in the original hiding place. This is where they fail something called the A-not-B task, which we'll talk about in a second. It's really hilarious. If you can't understand what I just said right now, don't worry about yeah, it. We'll, you'll it explain, explain it in depth. Um, and then 18 to 24 months, they'll search for an object moved in secret. So even if they don't see where you put the object, they'll still look for it because they know it's still in existence. So like two years old is around where infants start to realize that things are actually always still in the world That's no matter what amazing. you do to them. So I heard a comedian uh, one time, I don't remember who it was, but they were saying how uh, playing peekaboo is like <laughs> yep. the most terrifying thing ever because the baby, you cover your face, and the baby literally thinks you stopped existing. Yes, that is the case. Up until they're two. Up until they're two. So playing peekaboo with the baby is like, oh, mom's gone forever. <laughs> See, oh, is, oh, there she is. So if oh, you, and she's gone again. If you watch a baby's face, until you know that fact, watching a baby playing peekaboo is, peek-a-boo is kind of like bizarre because the mom hides their face and the baby goes into shock. They're like looking up like, what? <laughs> and then she unhides their face and they're like, oh, yeah, you're back. 
It's like the shock That's is Jameen like Gable. dealing with like, like, oh my god, mom's gone. What am I gonna do? Oh, she's okay. It's right. Here. Don't worry, guys. Oh, good food. Oh my god, we're okay. Oh god, that's no. See, it's not just food. We'll talk yeah, right, about the, yeah. the howler it's monkeys. Important, um, it's important. Concern. Anyway, so that's like a brief introduction to PJ. Um, so object permanence, like we said, uh, is this idea of like you know having knowledge that things still exist. Um, so there's a few there's a few like important components to this, right? Um, the first one that I want to talk about is uh, a, the A not B test because it's really funny. This is this is the thing where we were saying like infants will search for an object but only in the place that it was originally hidden. It's, so it's basically, say you've got this like little like table with two holes in it, right? And each hole has like a cover, sure. Okay. And you take a toy and you show the toy to the baby. And the baby plays with the toy. And then you take the toy and you, like, show the baby the toy's going in this hole. Basically, for the first couple tries, the baby either will not look in either of the holes or has, like, a 50-50 shot of looking in either hole to figure out where the toy is. They really don't get it. Eventually, they'll start to learn. <laughs> Sorry, my, my, my mic keeps falling and everyone's laughing at me. Eventually, they're st- they'll start to learn, like, over the course of, like, you know, 10 to 15 trials. Like, oh, okay, like, the toy's always in the left one. So they're like, oh, okay, the toy's in the left one, the toy's in the left one. So you take the toy and you hide it in the left one, and they just immediately go for the left one, take the toy out of the hole, and they're like, okay, fine, we got it, right? And they're like really happy with themselves. Yeah, I found the toy. Then you take the toy, and while it's right in front of them, you say, look, I'm putting it in the left, the right one, and you put it in the right one instead of the left one. You hand the thing to the baby, and the baby is looking directly at the right one where you put the toy and reaches their hand to the left and uncovers the left hole, and looks in the left hole and goes, where the fuck's the toy? <laughs> like, every single time. Every single so, time. So, yeah. So, okay. this is, so that was with, uh, I think, a nine or ten month old, which is, like, towards the end of, like, being able to, they're, like, doing it, and they look at it, and they're, like, I got nothing, right? So there's this, there was this one video that I was watching last <laughs> night of this same thing, where instead of uh, holes, they just literally had sheets on the table. And, like, they would, it was, like, little pieces of cloth. And they would take the toy and, like, lift up the sheet and put it under and so, like, instead of, like, sliding the table back and forth from them so you could control things, literally, as soon as it was under there, she would grab the cloth, pick it up, and look under and grab the toy, right? Just, like, immediately. It was, like, under there, she would pick it up and look at it. And then the most devastating thing in the world happens. Oh, no. <laughs> the researcher takes the toy and puts it under the other cloth. And instead of – she doesn't immediately grab for anything. The little girl sits there, looks at the researcher – looks at the cloth that the toy is under and is just like almost in tears <laughs> staring at the cloth she like it's like she knows but she doesn't really know she's just staring at this cloth and just like looks at it picks up her right arm and grabs the cloth that the toy isn't under and before she even lifts it up just starts screaming crying because <laughs> she knows there's no toy under it oh but my she God. can't figure out how to lift up the correct cloth so she just licks up the wrong one and is just crying because there's no toy under it <laughs> that's hilarious right i mean so she it's so bad. what right so what that's happens so is counterintuitive what they think is that the baby basically just established established this motor pattern. Of They're basically conditioned to, yeah, this is how I get the toy. Yeah. But, like, babies kind of see the world through the way they move. It's interesting. So there, we'll say some other stuff to support this. Yeah. But like, Are you saying that uh, proprioception 
is an important feature um, of it's babies. It's actually not so much uh, about yeah. proprioception. Oh, Sorry, yeah. <laughs> it's not because they actually have pretty much no goddamn idea where their limbs are at any given time. Um, mostly it's that, like, the, the baby knows if I take my left hand and straighten it, move it down 10 degrees so that it's touching this cloth and move the cloth to the side, then I get the toy. Yeah. It's no notion of, like, the toys in that hole. It's just they have it's, this they is know the movement the toys, that I have to make. They in know order the, to get toy the toy is again. still there, and they know they have to do something to get it, and they know this is what they did last time. But on some level, they're aware that that's not going to work anymore. Huh. But they can only think to do that. They can't come up with a new pattern. So basically, it's a lack of problem solving. They can't come up with a new pattern. It's, it's also potentially like they just can't override the motor pattern that they've right. just been doing this yeah, is yeah. probably the bigger aspect of it is that they like i just did that and it worked so i need to do that again <laughs> they just can't and the reason well the reason we figured this one out is they did this a not b experiment right they did the same thing except when they switched right. the the cloth it was under they put arm weights on the baby like very light arm weights so the baby goes to potentially like shift its arm to reach for the like the original cloth they're gonna reach under, and their arm moves differently, and they go something's wrong. So, so they, they reset. Like, so they like reset and go okay, toy, <laughs> and moves the correct sheet. Oh right. my god! So they don't make the error. The application of the weight specifically. Wow. So it throws off that motor pattern. Yes. Right. They can't recreate the same motor pattern anymore, and so then they have to start from scratch and come up with a new one. And then they get it right. More That's frequently. so weird. Okay. More, yeah, more Why? frequently. Yeah. A okay. lot of this is important is like a lot of the yeah, time when we say like they get it right, it's like 80% of the time. More than chance, but not like consistently. Yeah, exactly. Okay. But but still, that's really interesting. It's so super interesting. Basically, they have to get stuck in order to like figure out a real solution. Because if they are able to do the same thing last time, even if it, it doesn't work, they'll they do, it. do it. Exactly. Yeah. That's a really strange way to strange. problem solve. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's not even, at that point, it's, like, basically not problem solving. Yeah. It's, like, yeah. But you're right. Yes. It's a very strange approach to those things. So there's a few other things we should talk about with regards to object permanence. So one of them is, like, basically, like, feature permanence. So this is the idea that, like, scale and volume have <laughs> something to do with the actual object and not, like, are, are not otherwise completely independent. So volume consistency is really amusing i'm sure like a lot of people listening have experienced this i'm sure our parents have a hundred percent experience <laughs> actually this. i did just get a text from my mom saying uh we have videos a series of videos that shows you learning object permanence oh god that's so hilarious we're totally gonna do <laughs> that super awesome. um so so what they do is this is there's a series of videos that we'll post on the blog where um they have these kids sitting at a table and they have two glasses Right, and each of them they're full up to the exact same level, and they're the same glass. Right, they're like just identical glasses sitting next to each other, and they ask the kid like, "Do you think that this is like the same amount of liquid in each of these glasses?" And they look at it, and they like sometimes they like measure with their hands. How, like, how old are these kids? Uh, this because this has got to be older kids because like babies are gonna is. be like, "What they, the no, fuck these, is water, and why do I care?" Talk. This is like yeah, okay. this is like four or five, I think. Because it seems like you wouldn't be able to measure this very well with like. Uh, looking right yeah you can't you can't like compare suck, yeah, i don't right? have it but I, no no it's it's like it's these are like i think it's four or five maybe even a little bit older um so they're looking at it and uh you take the the second glass right and you and then you take a tall thin glass and you pour the liquid into that the same way you they watch you 
take the liquid and pour it in. So obviously, same amount of liquid, so right? Yeah, obviously. Right. Yeah. And they put the glasses next to each other and they say, does this one have more? Does this one have more? Or do they have the same amount? And every single time the younger kids look at it and go, that one has more, pointing at the tall one. Yeah. And they're like, and then the researchers say, why does that one have more? And about half the time, they have no answer. They're like, well, it, you know, there's, it, it's more. It's, yeah, they like. <laughs> that, that's like, a very kid answer to give, yeah. Uh, and, then, and then the other half the time, they're like, well, this one is, this one's taller. So there's, it's higher and there's more. <laughs> and that's as much as, they, that's as far as I can get. <laughs> there's also, so like, this is not necessarily, this is, in fact, is not um, only with regards to liquid. They took, this is my favorite video. There's this video <laughs> where they have five quarters. They have two rows, each of five quarters. There's this really, really adorable three-year-old sitting at the table. And they go, so does this row have more? Does this row have more? Or do they have the same amount? And the quarters are lined up like in like columns of two, right? So there's just five quarters taking up exactly the same width. And she counts the top row. One, two, three, four, five. She counts the bottom row. One, two, three, four, five. The same. And she's like, good, awesome. So, like, this girl can count, right? Yeah. She kind of messes up the top row and has to do it again. So, she's like, some notion of counting, but she's kind of oh, doing it as three. Like, she, no, she, what <sighs> she does is she does one, two, three, and then accidentally puts her finger in between three and four and says four, and then puts her finger on the fourth one and says five and is about to say six, and then was like, oh, wait, I messed that up and starts over. So, she's like, pretty good at counting. Then, the, the researcher spreads out the top row while she's looking again. So the same five quarters, she spreads them out. And the, she says, now does this one have more? Does this one have more? They're the same. And the girl immediately points at the top one and goes, that one has more. And she was like, why? And she goes, well, because, and she proceeds to like sort of gesture at the spaces in between the quarters. And she's like, because this is, you know, there's, cause here, and it's, it's bigger. There's, it's bigger. So there's more. And like, and Russians and Colleen was like, why doesn't she just count again? If she just counts again, then she would see there's still five. But this is sort of getting at what we were talking about wow. earlier with the difference between quantity and like the, like, uh, like, like aggregate sum. Up. Right. Yeah. So like, they, it seems that at this point, they still, even though she can count, she's still not totally past thinking about things as the amount of space they take up. So that's interesting. Then why, yeah, if she knows that counting is the solution to a problem like that, why, why isn't that her go-to? Well, because it's, it's so trivially obvious that something that takes up more space is more stuff. Right. Gotcha. She so she, she has that ingrained. So, the higher, so when they're the same size, she refers to exactly. counting. She gotcha. refers to counting. But counting is the new trick. She's spent her whole life learning that bigger things are more. <laughs> Jesus. Yeah. Um, that was a really funny video. We'll post that one too. Wait, um, so when we were talking yeah. about this last night, you were like, but wait, is this like a language barrier? Right. Well, how did we... We did resolve it? that. I um, thought we so, did. Yeah, so yeah. the problem that we posed was... So it seems pretty obvious that she just doesn't understand what a quantity is. Right? Like, the problem is she knows there's still five at the she top. She knows how to do tricks to solve knows the problems. Still, she knows there's still five at the bottom. But more to her 
doesn't mean more. It like it doesn't mean a larger quantity. It, it means, means bigger. 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 She's yeah. misinterpreting more as bigger. Um, <laughs> I wish I could remember exactly. We did come up with a. If I think of it later, I'll come up with it. Um, I, at some point, we did com- decide that like some other experiment that we had seen sort of verify that like was it the scale invariance one did we go right to that or no no oh, yeah but i am gonna talk fit. about that okay. next um the scale invariance thing is pretty funny too so like <laughs> this is volume consistency the other problem that people the children of like around this age the same age have is uh you put them in a room with like a toy car that is a replica of a larger toy car that they know they've gotten inside of before and they try to get inside of it <laughs> Even if it's literally like four inches <laughs> no tall. No way. Like there's this, so this little, right? He's like happily playing inside of this larger car. Then goes into the room, sees the smaller car, picks it up, puts her foot through it, <laughs> pulls She's up like, her leg to her knee, and then sits back and smiles. <laughs> like, yay, I'm in the car. I did it. And oh my like, God, that's the, hilarious. The I can picture just her having like, just a shitty yeah. grin like, ha, I'm in the car. <laughs> I got it. I did it. The, the previous room had like a big comfy chair with a xylophone. And the researcher's like, do you want to come play the xylophone in the new room? And it's this, like, two-by-two-inch chair. And she goes, okay, comes and sits down <laughs> on the tiny chair. And now, like, this is a baby, right? Small, like, toddler. She's, like, two She's or small, three, right? yeah. yeah. This chair is, like, the size of her foot, maybe. Yeah, it's <laughs> tiny. It's so funny. Um, and she and squats right into it and starts playing with the xylophone. This oh my one god, kid that's tried to use, so funny! He tried to use the slide, which is now three inches tall. <laughs> oh yeah, like the, and he just sort of puts his set. foot on it and <laughs> slides his foot down, like as like all done. That I was think, fun. I think the real moral of this story is that like it doesn't matter how shitty the toys you give your kids are, kids <laughs> no, will be like, "Fuck it, this is fun. I like it. I'm fine." <laughs> My foot With, can use were, the slide. They were pretty clearly only trying to be excited because they thought it was sort of like the toys that they were playing with before that were actually fun. They like looked at it and they're like, yeah, this is a slide. And they're like, how did I use this last time? It was so much easier. I put my foot here and that seems different. They're like kind of like, I guess it's okay. <laughs> I can't really figure out it's like because it. it's a different size. <laughs> It's pretty amusing. Um, is there anything else we want to talk oh, man. about? That this uh, is why else. babies are just goddamn weird. Yeah, they're like it's it's so, so funny. They're like so stupid, but so good at learning. Yeah, like, they can right. like in the re- like they don't know anything yet. That's why they're so stupid. <laughs> <laughs> but it's also a part of what makes them so. They're good at literally learning. ignorant. Yeah. Just they, completely yeah, just exactly. don't know things. Yeah, there's, there's like nothing ingrained initially, so they like how do I do anything? <laughs> it's really funny. <laughs> well, they can. They can suck, they can turn, and they can grab. That's all they but need they to start out with. They can't do those things intentionally. Well, yeah, those I are know. all reflexes. But but sure, that that gives them at least a jumping off point. Yeah, right, exactly. So like, like, hmm, yeah, I can't suck this, turn towards it, or grab it. What else do I do? What can I do here? Oh, you know what we should talk about, Zach? We should talk about the motor pattern thing because we mentioned that earlier. Which one is? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So okay, so this is really funny. Oh, so man. Zach mentioned that like. What we think part of the issue with the A not B test is the reason that these like not eight to ten month olds are failing it is uh, they have this ingrained motor pattern that they know gives them the answer every time, right? And then when you change what the correct answer is, all they can do is try the same motor pattern again. So part of this is related to what Zach started to say about it seems that infants and newborns learn about the world through their motor patterns 
So an example of this is, say you've got a crawling infant, right? They can't walk yet. They can only crawl. And they see a ball along the wall, right? They'll, cl- they'll crawl up to the crawl ball. Crawl to the ball on the wall. Got it. Right. They'll crawl to the ball, <laughs> grab the ball, right? And like play with it. And that's, that's it. They're done. Now say like the ball is the same distance from them, but it's two months later and they've learned how to walk. They start walking to the ball and just fucking miss. Just straight up, like, go in the wrong direction, like, go straight <laughs> past it and don't look down until they're past it. And then they're like, what the hell? Literally, it's the same thing. They know the motor pattern for crawling that will end with them at the ball. But as soon as they start to walk, that motor pattern's out the goddamn window. They can't do it anymore. And even though they know, like, so basically what it means is they don't have any knowledge of the distance from now to the ball. They just know how long they had to crawl for. And because walking and is faster. And now they're walking. It's just because it's different. Yeah. They're like, all right, well, I'm just going to walk and then I'll look down later and see if it's there. Just and they miss. just miss. They just completely, they're like, where the fuck's the ball? Like, completely screw up. <laughs> so this, like, leads, this, like, lends a lot of um, sort of insight into the idea that, like, they're actually, like, every time they change, like, the mode of locomotion that they're using... Do the locomotion. Come on, come on. Do the... I'm sorry. You never did that? You never did that? Like, No, I didn't. Yeah. yeah. Why do we do that? Because like middle school dances are fucking stupid. That's oh, why. I never went to those. Oh, well, I remember like, like singing that in elementary school You didn't school or miss something. anything. <laughs> Good. <laughs> anyway. Um, but yeah, so that's... Uh, do you want to talk about like the the, the depth what? perception test they yeah, do? Yeah, I wish I had found that video beforehand. But um, yeah, so they 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 did some stuff where they had these babies crawl off cliffs, but not really. Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> Hold on! Hold the goddamn phone! <laughs> what? Right. Yes, they weren't real cliffs. <laughs> they were trick cliffs. So what they had was um, it was like a checkerboard pattern, right, on the floor. On the uh, floor. Yeah. Right. And so, so and. Yeah, I'll tell you, yeah. yeah. So they like they have this checkerboard pattern, right? And they're crawling, they're crawling, they're crawling. Suddenly the checkerboard pattern shoots straight down, right? Because there's a glass floor now. It switches. So there's, there's, so yeah. it, but they don't know how glass works yet because they're babies. <laughs> so so they're I like, don't know how glass they're works. They're like, holy crap, this is a cliff. Like <laughs> sometimes. Sometimes. <laughs> the little ones That's right, terrifying. So they, they they picked a checkerboard pattern because it's really obvious when it's farther away from you, the boxes are smaller. Right? It's really specifically easy to see. Like actually if you use like any sort of like GUI graphics rendering system, they use checkerboards in the background because it's really easy to tell when things are like far away from you. However, young like crawling babies <laughs> get to this like cliff. Literal like to them, literal cliff. It looks like a cliff. It's just like there's a glass platform, they don't know it's there. And they just keep going. Because they have not yet learned that something that looks far away won't support you when you put your hand down. It's not even that they haven't learned that it's far away, because there's no notion of that. <laughs> and by the time they do learn that it's the the time they do learn not to walk off the cliff, it's not that they've learned that that thing is far away. It's that they learned that that looks smaller, and it, all my eyes are focusing farther away from my head. So like, if I put my hand there, I'll fall. 
And they haven't figured that out yet at this point. So they just like put their hand on the glass and keep crawling across like it's nothing. And this oh is why God. you don't leave babies at the tops of stairs Ever. or on tables they or literally anything like won't that. won't figure it out and they'll just walk off the edge. Jesus Christ. And I'm imagining the guy who designed this experiment was like, how do I get babies to fall off cliffs <laughs> without, without killing babies off cliffs? <laughs> the guy, like his first thought was like, oh, I got it. I'll just see if they walk off cliffs. Oh, right. uh, wait. So there's mm, some I cool can't do stuff. That. There's some cool stuff about this too, though, with like, basically it sort of lends itself to some of the other experiments that were done with like, that are sort of similar. The idea of like babies checking before they like do things, like checking their environment. So like in this case, like some of the, like the the older kids like you know they'd crawl off they crawl off to the edge and like look down and like stop and they'd sort of like pat the ground immediately below them and like look down and be like fuck it never mind and sit down right like no way man so yeah no way i'm not doing that so then there's this there's this like you know they took some babies that could walk right and they give them this platform to walk across they walk across the platform. There's like some candy on the other side or cereal. It's like cereal actually there's some cereal on kids love side, cereal now right? it's so funny that we uh, do experiments on babies with literally the same thing we give to like rats. Just put some like food at the end <laughs> yep. and they'll do exactly what you want them to do. <laughs> so, I need to go over there to get the food? I'll go over there. <laughs> okay. I so, love Cheerios. <laughs> Is that Cheerios? Yeah. So they, they have this platform they're walking across and they keep making it thinner. Right, so it keeps getting more narrow, and there's there is an actual cliff on either side of them, but the researchers are holding them so they won't fall. Um, so they start to walk across, and eventually it gets to a point where the the rail the, or the platform they're walking across is the same width as like both their feet next to each other. So it's like only like it's a few inches. It's I think it's like six inches or something like that. Um, and they look at it, and they look across, and they're like, "Huh." And they start, and they try. Now they're walking infants, right? So they've got a little bit of problem skills at this point, and they're like, oh yeah, sorry. Um, so they're they're like trying to walk across, and they like put their foot on the thin narrow rail, and they're like, I don't know, and they like stomp their foot on it a few times. Like, is this gonna fall? Like, no, it's not gonna fall. And they go to pick their other foot up, and they're like, there's nowhere to put this foot, and they stop. They're like, never mind, not gonna do it, right? So they just, they'll just sit down. So yeah, they literally, <laughs> or like, actually, actually, <laughs> in this video. The girl that they were doing it with, every time she decided she couldn't go across, she would turn to the researcher and just like kind of grab onto her and like wrap her legs around her, and just be like, "Carry me to the other side." <laughs> she like knew. She was like, "I know you'll do it." <laughs> um, so then what they do is they put a railing there, right? So it's the exact same platform, but they give it a railing on the side, right along the side, and the same infant walks up to the same or the same toddler, I guess, walks up to the the same like narrow path, but now there's a railing, and without any instruction, grabs the railing, hits it a few times to make sure it won't fall, pushes it to make sure it won't fall, and then uses it to walk across and goes all the way across the other side on the same narrow strip. So this is like tool usage, right? Damn. Like she's figured out how to use a tool in her environment to walk across. Here's what's even cooler. Then they replace the wooden rail with a really shitty flimsy rubber one that like won't support her. <laughs> She walks across. It was really funny. She gets up to it, and there's, like, prior to the, the uh, rubber one, there's, like, a wooden one. So she's walking along the wooden one, and she realizes, like, it's rubber now. She grabs it, and she, like, moves it up and down, and her hand obviously moves a few inches because it's, like, shitty rubber railing. She moves it up and down. She's looking at it. She looks back at the researcher. <laughs> she looks back at the rail. And she, like, puts her foot down on the, on the like, platform and, like, moves the thing up and down, and she's, like, really hilariously skeptical looking. <laughs> and she like grabs it with both hands and just 
takes a bite, (laughs) (laughs) chomps down on it, which, like, is funny because, like, when you look at it, it's like, what is she doing? She's tasting it (laughs) to see if she can recognize, like, what's this thing made out of? (laughs) She, like, puts her mouth on it. She, like, sucks on it. She moves it around again. And she just, like, fuck it. Turns around, just grabs onto the (laughs) (laughs) Nope. No, no, no. Oh, man. That's hilarious. So how do we know that... uh, so is she okay so we are okay. assuming in this case that it is some sort of different material and so she is uh not continuing to walk on it because it won't support her or she it's had, just that it's a different material right so that it won't support it's her that she won't support specifically okay. what they did was they picked something that wouldn't support her she very obviously like tests it for its how well it supports her yeah yeah and like sure but she could also like, be like testing it for what is this made out of? Because we know she takes a bite to figure out what it's made out of. How yeah, it th- but like, but she like didn't do that with the wood. Yeah, she as soon as as soon as she walked up to the wood and like put her hand on it and was I like, "Oh, this true. supports me," and then it's just like, walked across. Bonk, bonk. Okay, good point. Yeah, it was yeah. familiar. I can use um, this. So yeah, so that that's that's that kind of stuff. Is is there anything there, or do we want to move into? Like Honestly, language? these experiments sound hilarious. They're really fun. Oh, like they're literally great. every single one just videos, sounds like it's just like fun to mess videos with kids. Of all of them, and Ooh, they're really funny. Let's talk about the slope. Oh, yeah, good call. The Can slope I talk of about a baby? It? You want me to talk about it? Yeah, the slope, the derivative of, of a, a bit. No, no. Do I want to talk about it or you want to talk about it? Yeah, the slope. Oh, I'll talk about it. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So there's this thing called the, the risky, slope? risky slope experiment, right? <laughs> okay, do all of these experiments have names that are just as yes. lame and... Boring. They're There's all pretty the strange situation. That yeah. one's like a little bit more exciting. <laughs> Has nothing to do with Doctor Strange, unfortunately. <laughs> oh, um, that's sad. I can't so wait for the movie, by the way. There's this like slope, you know, it's a ramp, right? And they can change the incline of it. So you'll have this toddler at the top and it'll kind of waddle a little bit down the ramp, you know. <laughs> and if it's say it's it's real flat, right? It'll just go right down. It's like, yeah, I got this. Walk down the ramp, everything is fine and wonderful, yeah. right? And then um, they'll have it like maybe they'll have the ramp really steep. The baby gets the end. Same really deal. Really steep is like thirty to thirty-five degrees. That's like actually a pretty steep ramp. Like, yeah, yeah. And so they get to it and they're like, eh, no, this is not going to work. Same sort of like thing with the with like a cliff. They're like, I can't go over this cliff. I'll fall. They'll be like, I'm going to slip. I can't possibly do this. And they if try. It, they kind of like sit down and like put their feet <laughs> on it. And they're like, I, if nah. I'm gonna <laughs> maybe, I can, maybe I can. No. How, no. how many of the kids tried to slide down it? So, uh, so it depends yeah. on the slope. A lot of them do. Yeah, usually, or usually they can't walk down perfect the whole slope. Perfect response. So like, like, right, screw it, the it's first, a toy now. The first time they get to it, the researcher like sort of like, quote unquote, suggests they slide. Like sort of is like directs them to sit. And once they're sitting, they're like, oh, I got it, and like goes back to like sort of crawling, hopping down, <laughs> and then they're fine. So, um, an interesting thing happens in sort of an in between area. Like if the slope is sort of a questionable. Um, angle, yeah, so you there's know, like, where it's like, it's, it's not it's obviously like, yes, I can do this. You're like, oh man, that's a bad idea. <laughs> <laughs> it's the angle that they'll take like half the time. So they're like, they're not sure whether they can make it and half the time they try and half the time they're like, nah. So at this point, they'll stop and look over at their mom who's standing there and be like, yo, <laughs> what's the deal here? <laughs> can, I, can I do this? And then the mom will be like, yeah. And the baby's like, I and tries <laughs> goes it. for it. And, and mom's like, no. Like, uh-uh, uh-uh. And the baby's like, okay, okay. So wow. Yeah. So what's cool That's is that so this is this is like babies incorporating social cues into their like 
you know, their everyday lives, right? Problem solving. They're asking Marvel so, to, but what they should do. But it's only at the point that they're not sure. If it's really obvious that they can't make it down, no matter what the mom says, they're not going to try it. If it's really obvious they can, no matter what the mom says, they're not going to stop. They'll walk across anyway. But if they're not sure, they look at their mom, and if their mom says go, they'll go. If their mom says don't go, they'll stop. Moral of the story is that kids only listen to their parents when they need help. Yeah, exactly. In this case, literally. (laughs) In all other examples, it's just like, screw you, I'm doing this. Yeah. Um, So let's talk about how parents actually communicate to their children. Good sex. Do this they? One's su- they do, <laughs> interestingly enough. <laughs> it's almost as if they care about Wait, them. Do we want to do, do a music break? This is 625. <laughs> okay, let's just keep going. Aye. Power through. So let's talk about infant-directed speech. This is speech directed at infants. Incredible. That <gasps> oh, that's why it's called yeah. that. Oh, 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 wow. Right. Whoa. So there's oh, actually wow. a specific way that people will talk to babies, which I'm sure you've noticed. There's sort yeah. of the goo goo gaga baby voice that they use. It gets real high pitched. Like, baby. baby. It's funny because Zach does that to me a lot. <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're small like a baby. I'm not. I'm taller than you. No, but you're. Which you're, means there is more of me. But you're thin. I only consider one dimension because I am also a baby. <laughs> <laughs> Shit. <laughs> anyway. Um. So, uh, the funny thing is, is that like. It's really hard to do infant-directed speech on purpose, and you kind of do it without realizing it. Like, didn't the like Professor Goldstein? He was kind of like, like, yeah, parents would come into my lab and be like, I don't, I don't talk to my baby like that. That's ridiculous. And then of course he had him, had him on video during the experiments talking to baby, it. and they're all doing it every so, single time. So there's a lot of important components to infant-directed speech, right? Um, the first one is this like really, really exaggerated um, pitch fluctuation. So that's like going from really low to really high really frequently so <laughs> exactly literally that right so like here's a ball goes up and down like that right and so um there so that's like the first component the second component is um really really simple words right people use very simple words when they're talking or made up ones things. or made up ones um but in general like simple words Here's like an interest, a really interesting example. So, babies hear about five thousand to seven thousand utterances directed at them <clears> a day. <throat> so, an utterance is like basically any string of words that people are directing toward them. Hello, baby. So, yeah, right. That's an utterance. Okay. So, hello, five, governor. Five thousand to seven thousand. the baby a governor? That just seems irresponsible. <laughs> <laughs> Better than a mayor. Um, no, it's not. What? So five. <laughs> <laughs> What? <laughs> How is that better than... Guys, I'm making an important point. So 5,000 to 7,000, right? Like, that's a lot, right? Of all of those utterances, 45% of them, almost half, start with only one of 17 words. So there's like 17 words that start half of the utterances that are used at babies. Usually they're like, hi, hello, who is... Baby's name. Baby's name, that kind of stuff. Um here is like that kind of stuff um so like they're hearing like the same words over and over and over and over and over again it's a huge part of infant directed speech um another component to infant directed speech is moving whatever you're talking about in sync with the pitch of your voice this part's 
super cool. It's really difficult to do intentionally. So I'm gonna pick up my phone and like do it right now, and Dave's gonna laugh at me because I'm gonna do it really poorly. Like, here's a phone. That was no, you fucked it up immediately. Wrong. Wait, yeah. Right? It's hard to do intentionally. Here's a pen. No. Yeah. It's what the hell? Right. It's so weird. So, however, why can't I do that? If you were to walk up to a baby right now and tell them about a ball, you would do it flawlessly without thinking about it. What? <laughs> something about actually being in front of an infant and talking to them about something magically allows people to develop this skill. Superpower. Of, like, moving the things but in their What a shitty superpower. You have to be in the presence of a baby. <laughs> if you wanted to use that to fight crime, you'd have to, like, carry a baby around <laughs> with Superheroes you. Superheroes don't always fight crime. Sometimes they just help babies learn good. <gasps> wow, what an interesting way to think about parents. As superheroes. Ah. Yay. That's why uh. I didn't see my dad much. He left to fight crime all the time. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, so anyway. So Just kidding. The Damn it, Batman. My dad's pretty good. Bat dad. <laughs> Bat dad. Bat dad. Um, so then the last component of infant directed speech is um, smiling, which causes hyper enunciation. So if you smile while you're talking, <laughs> <laughs> oh man, you over enunciate all of your words. So if you're talking to a baby, you're moving whatever you're talking about up and down in sync with the pitch, flu- pitch fluctuations in your voice. You're smiling, which is because on your end, probably you're talking to a baby and you're babies like, yeah, are making no smiley babies. and stuff. But also, it causes you to over-enunciate, and you're only using one of 17 words to start half of your sentences. This is a really good way to teach babies how to pay attention to you when you're trying to communicate with them. And what they've seen, what we've seen is that... So the sort of condition to these several things. Mm -hmm. Ah, okay. What we've seen is that infants start to learn when people are trying to talk to them and when they don't need to pay attention because people are talking to other adults. So they start to interpret infant-directed speech as actually directed at infants and can recognize, like, oh, they're not using that. I don't need to give a shit about what they're saying right now. <laughs> oh, man. So, like, when people say, oh, I don't use baby language, first off, they're lying because yes. they do. And second Probably. off, if they actually don't, you're they're fucking they're, your kid over. <laughs> they're, they're actually, it's, it's like, I, we speak to our kids in a respectable manner like adults. Well, they're babies, so <laughs> that's stupid. Yeah, exactly. I always thought the baby language was stupid. Nope. But now I see that, like... Extremely important. Holy shit. I thought the same thing until I took that class. I I literally have to, like, say goo gaga to babies. Well, not... Okay, but real English. English. Yeah. But so... um, And so what's cool about, like, the moving things in sync, by the way, um, is, like, the baby's getting two different inputs right now, visual and auditory. The auditory input is moving in sync with the visual one, and that's... Because they don't know what pointing at something means, right? Like, that's a learned construct. But they do know that the blue ball is moving up and down in sync with blue ball. And they're like, huh, those things must be related to each other. And if you do that 500 times a day, they start developing (laughs) a connection between blue ball and that blue ball that they're looking at. So they're learning the word for the object that you're holding. Yep. Wow. By yes. pure brute force of like yeah. again and again and again. Like this is a freaking blue ball. God damn it. Learn. So yeah. And while we're talking about Except like. Don't do that. Brute force learning. There's this notion of language acquisition called statistical learning. 
This is my favorite thing in the world. <laughs> Basically, there there are uh, components of language. The, the like smallest components of language are called phonemes. A phoneme is a single sound that you can produce. In English, there's like 48 of them, I think. So it's like all of the standard letters, each of the two different ways to say a vowel, plus like things like ch, ch, and th, etc. Um, and those those <laughs> make up thanks the phonemes needed that for for English. There Although are, to be fair, probably everyone listening just went. Th- <laughs> <laughs> there there are probably like I think there's something like 600 phonemes used in all of the different languages, like that humans speak. And we can't hear a lot of them. We talked about this a little bit when we were talking about, um, I think, right? We talked about functional deafness at some point when we were talking about um, maybe sound. I don't know. Maybe it didn't. Functional (laughs) deafness is um, this idea that, like, once you've spoken your language long enough, you become functionally deaf to the phonemes that you don't use, which is a reason that so there's this there's this big joke this is my favorite thing in the world the joke that japanese people can't say hello and are fact are in fact saying hero is a double the double-sided like joke you're actually insulting yourself as much as you're insulting them because they're not saying hero the they're letter that they're a phoneme that we can't even the letter hear. that they're using to replace l is a mix between l and r and a lot of languages that aren't English have it, specifically Asian languages, and English doesn't have it. So they hear, they when you say an L sound, if they're functionally deaf to L, they input the closest sound they know, which is E, which is an LR sound. I can't do it very well. And then when they say that back at us, we identify, well, that's not L, it but it sounds like R. like R. And so we hear hero. They're not saying that. Oh, so we're fucking up just as much as they are. So basically what you're saying is that making fun of how other people pronounce things (laughs) is racist and stupid. (laughs) And you're making fun of yourself just as much. So it's moronic. Yeah. Cool. Um, It's pretty amusing. I'm glad I have an actual like good scientific (laughs) reason to call people out on like, Japanese people can't say these letters. Well, you're stupid. You literally can't hear what they're saying. And so, so it's the same thing. So anyway, so you develop this functional deafness. What's important and crazy babies have the ability to make all of the phonemes that are used by all of the human languages when they're born okay well we're all so is everyone everyone's oh, capable yeah? of Can making you make them, right? that lr sound i mean only right. because I haven't been trained to but do it. They are not trained to do it. See, but that's a distinction you have they to can. make. It's not that no. we can't, it's just that you can't right now. They can when they're born. You could when you were born. You can't right now. If you so you're try. saying if I like uh, took a Japanese class? No, they didn't take a Japanese class. No, no, no I, but you could learn to do it. Yeah, right. They don't need to. All I was saying is that, like, yeah. Uh, okay. All I was saying is that most <laughs> it's adults. It's distinction. No, it's but I was already making it. Most adults can only say the phonemes. Can only pronounce the phonemes of the language that they speak. Babies do not have that restriction. They can pronounce, can and do pronounce phonemes from various languages. No, that's a superpower. Yeah, right. Sure. Um, <laughs> no. So it's like the Blue Beetle. It translates everything. Um, so hey. um, literally no one know, who's listening right now like, is going to understand that joke. Fine. Colleen will. Um, <laughs> she's not listening. She, yeah, I was going to say. She's not listening because she's out of dinner. Um, so. Yeah. <laughs> dinner was supposed to be yesterday. Now I'm not there because it's now. It's oh. birthday, right? Yeah. 
Oh, it's Alyssa's. Alyssa's birthday. Happy Shout birthday, out to Alyssa. Alyssa. It's not her real birthday, oh. though. Her birthday. But happy food birthday, I guess. There you go. Let's go with that. Interesting. It's the birthday of her food. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so <laughs> babies can make all of these sounds, right? But when they make a sound that we're functionally deaf to, we repeat that sound in the closest thing we can get with the phonemes that we know how to speak. So every time they make a sound, they're actually being corrected if that sound is not one in the language that you speak. And so over time, they learn to not make sounds that are not a part of, say, English, if they're in an English-speaking home. So because every time they make something like the Earl sound, you either say R or L instead, and they're like, oh, that's what I'm supposed to do. I mean, obviously, this is like over years and years of repeating it. But every time they say it, you're like, right. no. But you're not saying no. Either. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. You're you just, just like, go, you just yeah, say exactly. It. Different yeah. sound. That's, yeah. the, that's actually like, an important distinction. That was, oh. that was not the same. Um, that was not yeah. the same sound. So this is a part of what this notion of statistical learning, which is basically the way. So there's also this idea that like if I, if I were to listen to Russian right now, I would have no idea where the word stopped. Yes. Because when I'm speaking the sentence right now, I didn't put any f- like stops at all in between the words. But everyone listening knew when the words ended and started. <laughs> That's stupid. Yeah. Even though weird. I didn't pause at all in between any of the words. Except right? I knew where, yeah. I but you, oh. knew. Yeah. Yeah. But when you listen yeah. to a different language, there's no notion of that, right? Because you don't know what the words are. You don't know what syllables are in that language, right? You don't know what common syllables are. So babies listening to English actually start to use statistical learning to figure out, okay, the syllables bay and b go next to each other a lot. These like, two people, these people always say bay and then b, right? Specifically in that order, right next to each other all the time. So they start to like basically form words by how frequently those and then you can see like okay, so like hi baby and hello baby. So it doesn't matter what's in front of baby. Baby still happens. So baby is its own chunk. That's regardless oh, of what's around man. it. Yeah. That's really interesting. Crazy. How? Yeah, how, right? Because they're how? not thinking about it. So they then, just sort of they just so sort then, of So then we get into now we're getting into like a little we'll just touch on this really briefly, a little bit of cognitive science related to this. Your brain is made up of neurons. Agreed? So neurons, no. neurons Bullshit. are the little. Are, are Have you ever seen your brain? Shut up. Neurons <laughs> are the cells that make up your brain, that basically are all connected to not necessarily every other neuron, but oh, neurons like are lot. all connected there's to a lot each of other. Connections and there's on. a lot of connections. Zach, do you have the number? It's all about networking. Yeah, no, I don't have the number. Okay, it's so there's like there are huge like hundreds, if not thousands, of synapses per neuron connected to all these other neurons it's right? some kind of incomprehensibly disgustingly large number yeah it's like completely insane it's like some like number of trillions of connections um we talked about impossibly so, large numbers last week we did yeah so this is more of that except it's inside your head um and so <laughs> wow yeah so basically what happens here is there's something called a habian synapse or the habian synaptic effect um this is the idea that synapses that fire in sync so synapse A fires and that causes synapse B to fire where synapse A and B always fire at the same time, start developing connections to each other just because of the structure of neurons and nothing else. It's just how they're built that that's what will happen. But because of that, 
you can develop like entire cortices like the visual cortex and auditory cortex because all of the neurons that fire when you see things are all firing at the same time or in a specific order so they all develop connections to each other so they all group next to each other and then you end up with an entire you know part of your brain dedicated to just that similarly the parts of your brain so now think about this and like say i mean we're super sim- sim- simplifying but say there's one neuron that always fires when you hear bay and there's another neuron that always fires when you hear b and there's another neuron that fires when you hear high and another one when you hear low right so the connection between bay and b is going to grow really strong because you always hear bay and then b and so they'll develop some strong connection however between high and bay is not going to be nearly as strong because sometimes you hear low and then bay if someone said hello baby instead of hi baby so that that connection is weaker and you can see now how like you can develop connections about like just about syllables and how they're related to each other without doing anything your brain just does it automatically because that's how it's set up the human brain it's yeah, a magic machine. awesome. There's a Wikipedia article on statistical learning and language acquisition. Okay. So if you read up on the original findings, you can... These guys constructed an artificial grammar. Like a very, very... It had four yeah, words. Yeah, right. So And cool. the, the words were like... Let's see. What are they? You got... Um, Padoti, Golabu, Tupiro, oh God, and Bidaku. Yeah. Right? And so they would, you know, like... Say at these babies, like monotone with no special cues or anything with no spacing between the words, they'd be like, and just like go through them, right? So, and sort of like how while, English works, right? Someone like, like walks into the wrong building and like actually <laughs> walks into the babies, right? And they're just like, what, what the fuck is going on? So then, but then they would go and they would present like another thing where they would say, like, they would do a series of words that were like, right? But then other ones they would like, take chunks of the words and like flip them around and attach them to other words. So now you have a set of like new words that the babies didn't know before. And so the syllable matches are like, are different. And the babies would dishabituate to the new made up word, the new made up word. And this was like, they only habituated them for like, what, how long was it? It was like some stupidly short amount of time. Um, I can't find it I think it, it was here. on the order of minutes. But it was pretty quick. Really? That fast? It's like, yes. wow, wait, that's new. That's different. Holy hell. So, like, they haven't quite figured out exactly how, like, syllables work. But they know that, like, you know, what was it? Like, Pobatu or whatever. Like, always those three syllables go in that order. And as soon as you switch it, they're like, what? I think adults were also, like, significantly worse at this. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's not surprising because we already have, like... Exactly. We already... Because that all sounds We've like nonsense to us. Yeah. None of those are words. Yeah. Right. Whereas to a baby, like, it any word be. sounds yeah. like... The ones they heard a bunch of times yeah. first and then heard again, and like, oh, those are words. Yeah. Maybe. It's like, they don't have any meaning associated with them. So, yeah, exactly. So, all of this actually has to do with... Um, so, uh, maybe some of you guys have heard of Chomsky. Um, Noam Chomsky. Noam Chomsky is like a very, very, very like well-known psychologist. <laughs> you probably all know him. Noam. Oh, oh my, my God. God. Um, so anyway, so Noam Get Chomsky <laughs> has this. Uh, he ha- has this like really like reasonable, I suppose, um, like idea of a language acquisition center of the brain. The idea that your brain is actually, at least to some extent predisposed to learn language okay like language not just like 
understanding words. This is like there's a grammar center that's sort of like frameworked out in there. All of this kind of stuff um, has some ideas that like um, because there are only very slight variations between a lot of language. One of the examples he gives is like in English we say it is raining. You have to assign the verb to a noun even though there is no it that is raining. Yeah. You're just it. I can't even say it without that. Raining. Raining. Is raining. Is like it just in other languages weird. though they you say can, you is drop the, the you drop the it you just say raining or, or is raining and that's enough and it's funny even when we say is raining like someone's like oh you just misspoke it's raining right yeah, yeah you meant to say <laughs> it's raining um it's raining so yeah. um so so that kind of thing is like something where like basically language have languages have one or one option or the other now I don't know how many languages he inspected to determine whether or not this is true, um, but he is a linguist, so I wouldn't be super surprised if it was a lot of them. Um, but basically, he developed this idea that we have sort of like on and off switches built in to our brain, and when you're born and you're exposed to this language, you you figure out what rules you're supposed to follow. So you're exposed to English, and you go, and your brain starts to figure out, oh, I'm supposed to put it in front of these things. However, statistical learning provides an important framework that doesn't need any of that. Basically, through only statistical learning, you can conceive, you can see how. Okay, so first you learn words, then you learn grammar in the exact same way. Oh, they never say is raining. I must always have to say it is raining. And right. it's just a statistical exactly. thing, right? And then you and you sort of like develop. You can even like. There's actually like really hilarious like examples of this where like first babies learn individual words and so something like ran as the past tense of run they get because they just learn that like I am run I like I run I ran got it backwards right like that's like that happened in the past rather I mean um, but then they learn the rule that what you add an ed to the end of past to end of words to make them past tense. <laughs> And after having correctly said ran for some number of months, all of a sudden they say, I runned. So, like, there's some, there is some statistical learning going on. First, they're associating ran with past tense, and then they see this overarching rule that's more common, and they assume, like, this is how I'm supposed to do it all the time. And they actually overwrite the previous rule huh. and have to relearn Even the that previous there are rule. Was that there is a right. rule. They just memorize what to say. Exactly. Right. Which is, I mean, honestly, when you hear people talk, usually, you know, they repeat phrases they've heard. They say things that like other people say Definitely. a lot of the time. Like that really, I think, lends credence to the idea of statistical learning is that people just recycle words they have heard in phrases they have heard yeah, from other exactly. people. And that's why, like, you know, people get grammar wrong because they, they never really thought about it. They just kind of repeated what they heard. Yeah. Huh. Yeah, that's sort of an interesting thing, too, is, like, when you start, when you go into, like, school and are first taught grammar, asked to, like, explain grammar or anything like that, like, most of the time people do pretty badly because they've never formed concrete rules that they, like, follow. They just follow patterns. And they know what the patterns are really, like, abstractly in, like, a really subtle way. They don't have any, like, concrete rules that they know they need to follow. We should move on because we only have, like, 10 minutes. Yeah, well, but, I wait, mean, part oh. of that is also that, like, English, a lot of a lot of grammar rules are just, like, stupid Yeah, but anyway. even when you start really simple <laughs> but, yeah. with, like, simple rules, like people ED, are, like, it's yeah, it's just, like, you, it's hard to figure out because you don't know what the rule you were following was. <laughs> you were just following it and implicitly. <laughs> just really quick, I want to say, like, this learning, like, language sort of thing starts really early, like, yeah, in the womb. That, yeah. So uh, there's this experiment done 
where this guy got some pregnant mothers to, like, every day read a book to their children. And there were three different books. Each was assigned to, like, a group of mothers, right? And so they only read this one. Each mother only read one of these three books. Um, it was The Cat in the Hat, The Dog in the Fog. That's super hard to say. But it's basically The Cat in the Hat, same rhyme scheme, so they flipped a bunch of the words around to just okay. other words. Um, and then The King, the Mice, and the Cheese, which is also a rhyming book, but with a different rhyme scheme entirely. And then once these babies were born, they hooked them up to this sucking machine for not this non-nutritive nipple, right? <laughs> and then when, <laughs> and so they would like they would play different recordings. So over the course of like all these different recordings, they determined that their mother reading the wrong book, whether or not say if they had the cat in the hat, whether or not their mother was reading the dog in the fog or the king and the mice, king the mice and the cheese, the baby would be like, uh, like it would like be like uninterested in it. Versus if they read The Cat in the Hat, it would slow down and be like, oh, yeah, The Cat in the Hat. I like this. Whoa. And then additionally, if they got a stranger to read The Cat in the Hat versus the mother reading The Cat in the Hat, they would prefer the mother's voice. Additionally, if they got the mother's voice muffled by like some sort of like as, as if it sounded as if it was coming oh through my fluid God. versus as if you just heard the mother's voice clearly, it pref the babies preferred the muffled voice. As kind of hearing it used through to, the womb. They're used to hearing it through the womb. Yeah. That's so, insane. Right. So... That's that's sort of like the like control like you'd almost definitely expect babies to like enjoy like hearing their mother as they have for the past nine months as opposed to like as they have for the past day, right? They're gonna have like a stronger preference to that. But then they found like they could tell the difference between two books with the same rhyme scheme where the only difference was the phonemes used to compose the words. Otherwise, like, if you were to like just sort of like quickly read through the dog in the fog, like people would mistake it for the cat in the hat. It's like the it's, it's like <laughs> otherwise exactly the same, right? And so they would could they could tell the difference. They had a strong enough auditory cortex and a strong enough memory system, they could tell the difference. But wow, it was very amazing. obvious that those things had explicitly developed. Over the course of like the mom reading it to them, right? It's so cool. Also, um, they did they compared strangers speaking languages, like say like French, Russian, and English. Oh, right? yeah, the yeah. baby was French. The baby preferred French. Here, even hearing it from a stranger, and couldn't tell English and Russian apart. Like it would be bored by both of them. Ha! Huh. <laughs> it's awesome. That's some really. Cool That's stuff. amazing that we learned that much like in utero. It's completely yeah, insane. Well, and it lends a lot of credence to the idea that like we can learn literally all of language from complete scratch without any pre-built mechanisms necessary. <laughs> Crazy. I, that's amazing. It's completely that's awesome. Insane. Um, right. So I think the last thing we should talk about, like try to cram in here, because I think it's pretty important is like attachment theory. Um, I was thinking maybe think so. theory of mind. Oh, that's a cool one. All right. Do you want to just like go over? We yeah. Have time. Okay. Cool. So we'll, let's talk about theory of mind first because we can probably rip through that. Is anybody out there like looking at us? No, like, I don't see anyone. anyone. No, okay. Um, yeah. So theory of mind. Do you want to talk about? It or you want to talk about? It? You want to talk okay, about? Okay. Cool. It. So, <laughs> um, so theory of mind is like this is very hilarious. Okay. So they did this study. They take these kids and they they bring them into this room and they have this box, this crayon box, right? It's a so crayon box. You know, pictures of crayons on the outside. Right. It's a Crayola exactly. box. It's a Crayola much, yeah. box. And they say, what do you think is in the box? And the kid's like, crayons. 
you idiot, right? Like crap. Duh. And they, they open the box and th- of course there's M&Ms. So <laughs> <laughs> the, the kid looks in the box and they're like, you know, like, okay. So like now you know there's M&Ms in the box. Okay. And they're like, so your mom's in the hallway. What does she think's in the box? And the kid goes, M&Ms. Like obviously because there's M&Ms in there. There's M&Ms in it. So she thinks there's M&Ms in it. And the researcher's like, what about when you, a second ago, thought there were crayons in the box. Like, no, there's M&Ms in the box. So <laughs> this, this is all about something called the theory of mind. The theory of mind is the, like, learned knowledge, like, idea that other people have preferences, considerations, and thoughts and that like are perspectives different from yours. Yeah. So the idea that, like, just because you know a thing doesn't mean everyone else knows it. Damn it. Right? It's <laughs> so much more difficult. So there, there's, like, another thing where they have a little setup, right, where they've got pretty, like some kind of, you know, like, imagine, like, a plate, right? Just a regular old dinner plate or something, but with, like, a large, like, mountain in the middle, right? And so you can't see past the mountain to the other side of the plate, but you can see what's on your side of the plate, right? And so you ask the kid, say he's got like three Cheerios on his side, on the researcher's side, there's like maybe like three M&Ms or something, right? You ask the kid, so... What oh, does the so, researcher get the good one? So like, what do you see? And the kid's like, oh yeah, there's three Cheerios. It's like, what does the researcher see? He's like, yeah, three Cheerios. Even and the then researcher you have them is switch seats. So the kid saw the Cheerios, and now he's looking at the M&Ms. They say, what do you see? Three M&Ms. What does the researcher see? Three M&Ms. Exactly. Yeah. Even though the kid was just where the researcher is looking at the Cheerios, <laughs> they still say, like, well, no, this is what is seen. It's because it's almost as if the question, what does the research see, researcher see, doesn't make sense, and they're instead interpreting it as what is being seen. Because there is no notion that other people are seeing, seeing things different, different things. from you. It's just you That's are. It's, it's, the idea is called, accurately, yeah. egocentrism. Oh, yeah. So you're in a stage <laughs> of egocentrism until you learn the theory of mind. Okay, cool. Yeah. So it's funny because that makes me think that the snack budget is included in all the funding for these uh, researchers. D- yeah, 100%. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's like part of it, like, okay, so we need some, like, statistical software. We need this. We also need, like, 30 pounds of M&Ms. Yep. <laughs> Wait, there's uh, there's the, the marshmallow study. Oh, this yeah. This is, like, unrelated to all the things we're talking about, but it's pretty funny. It's it's the idea of, like, I mean, adults are bad at this, too. It's the idea <laughs> of um, delayed reward. Delayed gratification. De- delayed gratification. So uh, they put these kids in a room. It's so funny. They put these tiny kids in a room with a plate with a marshmallow sitting out in front of them. And the researcher's is like, so I'm going to go look for more marshmallows. If you eat that one right now, that's fine. But if you wait, I'll give you another marshmallow when I come back. So you can have two. And they go, oh, so I wait and you get to, yeah, or you can eat it right now, whatever you want to do. And they leave the room. And the kids, I'm going to post this video. This is the funniest video I've seen in a long time. The kids are staring at it and they're like, just like looking around. This one kid like kept like, he would like look at it and then really quickly like glance to the door and then glance back. Like he would like touch it and then look at the door to see if like someone saw him and then like put his finger back and then like touch it again and this there's this one there was one there was a boy and a girl and it was like a brother and his sister and his sister was younger and he's sitting there and he's like we're gonna wait right and the girl's like yeah we're gonna wait we're gonna wait and like okay 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 they're sitting there and the girl like picks hers up and is just kind of like looking at it and like she puts a little bit in her mouth but doesn't bite it off like she like kind of licks it and then puts it back down and he's like you're not waiting she's like no no i'm waiting i'm waiting (laughs) 
And like they left, they must have left them in there for like five, ten minutes. And like she like keeps like she like takes a tiny little piece off and like puts it in her mouth. He goes, now she's not gonna give you two because you didn't wait. She's like, no, no, I can wait. I'm waiting. I waited. And he's like, you're not waiting. And he's like, really like he feels really bad for her. He's like, you you didn't wait. You're not gonna get two. You gotta stop. I feel like, like okay. that is that is me and my sister it was right there. So like, very much funny. It's so funny. Which you being the the waiter. Wait. Yeah. And then like, the what are you were, doing? You're gonna get two, you <laughs> fool. <laughs> yeah, it was great. Um, okay, should we talk about attachment now? We, sure. Why not? Um, so I think this one's probably like very important for anyone who's planning on ever becoming a parent. Um, slash anyone. Um, so basically, this uh, this researcher Ainsworth um, did Ainsworth, Ainsworth um, did. This, they Thanks performed an experiment called the strange situation experiment. The strange situation. Um, here's, here's, I'll explain. So here's the experiment. So it's like right? a Twilight Zone knockoff. <laughs> <laughs> it's, like a really, it's like a shitty Welcome Twilight Zone. Welcome to the strange situation. So basically they have these parents walk into a room that these kids have never seen before with their kids. Right. Um, and they sit down and there's a bunch of toys in the room. It's like a very like colorful, fun looking room. The kids are walking around playing with things. Right. And something to note here is that like kids do something called emotional refueling um, where they basically refuel by spending times, spending time directly in contact with their mother and they'll explore. But they like basically, quote unquote, waste emotional fuel exploring and always circle back to their mom for some period of time after they've gone out to explore. So what's happening is the mom's sitting in the room with them. They keep, they're doing this. They're walking around playing. The mom might be talking to them. They're like playing with the toys and they come back and refuel. They come and sit with their mom and like, you know, sit on their mom's lap and play with the toy and then go find more things to play with. A stranger walks into the room, but the stranger is very friendly to their mom. So the stranger walks up to their mom. They shake hands. They talk to each other. They're being nice to each other. And the kid witnesses all of this, right? But has never seen this person before. Then the mom leaves. Okay? So um, what's important here is two things. Firstly, most of the kids cry when their mom leaves, right? Not unexpected. What the researchers were looking for, though, is what happened at the reunion, which is the next stage. So firstly, the mom leaves and the stranger tries to comfort the kid stranger that's in the room then the mom comes back and the mom tries to comfort the kid here are the findings that they had basically let me see if i can get to the right thing um so there are three different kinds of like security that they found of it three different kinds of attachment that they found from this experiment the first one is secure attachment so secure attachment um, the child reacts positively to the stranger as long as the mom is in the room with them, shows a lot of distress when the mom leaves, is unlikely to be comforted by the stranger, but very easily comforted by the mom when the mom returns. So they're, they're freaked out when their mom leaves. But their mom comes back, they're fine again, right? That's called secure attachment. Anxious or avoidant attachment. I think avoidant was the terminology that Ainsworth used. Um, the child is indifferent to the mom when they're there, may or may not show distress when the mom leaves, and is as likely to be comforted by the stranger as the mom. So basically, so this is avoidant, right? So like the reason it's called anxious avoidant is that while the mom's in the room, they appear very slightly distressed. 
even though their mom is there. Huh. They seem just sort of uncomfortable with everything in general, even though their mom is there. Whereas in a secure attachment, the child just never seems uncomfortable while the mom is in the room. Um, the reason it's called avoidant is because they don't seem to show any particular attachment to the mom. They don't use emotional refueling. So they don't do the whole circling back. And they're just as easily comforted by some stranger they've never seen before as the mom. The third one is called anxious resistant. Shows Oh, sorry. Yeah, so this is specifically shows signs of stress even when the mother is near. In clear distress when the mother leaves and not comforted when she returns. So even when the mom comes back, the child's still unhappy. Um, so basically, there's a, few, there's a few potential causes for this, for the variation in this, right? First one is potent parental behaviors. Mother's attention to infant's level of need is highly correlated with the security of their attachment. Um, so this actually, right. so there's yeah. like a specific thing. My mom always tells me when I was a baby, she never put me down. She'd walk around with me, talking to me, holding me, give, like always in contact with me. And people would tell her that I was going to develop like dependence issues because she always was like, you know, giving me attention, basically. Basically, this study says that's a load of fucking horseshit. <laughs> um, mother's attention to the infant's level of need is specifically the thing that allowed these infants to develop secure attachments to their mother. So... Now, note, this is like 66% of infants showed secure attachments. So most of the time, it seems like people are able to do this. Um, the second thing is characteristics of the child. So it's important to note that while mother's attention to the infant's level of need is highly correlated, it doesn't necessarily mean that is the cause of that attachment. It's possible children who were innately going to develop secure attachments are easier to pay attention to. It's much easier to be aware of your child's level of need if they rely on you for emotional refueling because they're always going to come back to you when they're sad and be comforted when you give them comfort. So the kid so who doesn't, so the, the kid, kid who just is, like doesn't need it, you know, the parent's going to just, just exactly be, be less in attuned the, to like, their yeah, needs right. because they just don't right. go to them. In the first case, the kid is literally training you on how to comfort them. So... That's a potential, that is a possibility. It's really hard to figure out which of these was causal. Um, familial causes are maternal depression and marital discord led to typically insecure attachment. Not specifically one or the other of the two different types Just of insecure attachment, secure. but not secure attachment. And it's important to note that marital discord does not necessarily mean divorce. For example, my parents are divorced. However, I would never note the, like the experience of my my experience of their relationship as marital discord because basically they were never it was never apparent that they were fighting or upset with each other to me when I was a kid and once they got divorced they were happier so actually divorce was the best thing they could have done because them sticking together would have eventually resulted in what is considered marital discord which is usually not even fighting, which they didn't do anyway. Fighting, not that big of an issue. Screaming at each other, not that big of an issue. The problem is low levels of anxiety or upset that perpetuate through <sighs> a relationship. Mm. So basically, couples that should be divorced but don't get divorced and are just sort of annoyed with each other all the time, that's bad. 
That's what can cause in- insecure relationships or insecure attachments. Um, the last thing is cultural causes. So infants that spend more time sleeping at home develop more sec- secure relationships. The reason this can be culture is cultural is like there are like tribal cultures. Sleeping at home has a completely different meaning, right? So cultures where like so like our culture, for example, in America is one where you spend almost all of your time sleeping in the same house as your parents. However, there's lots of cultures. They, they gave a lot of examples. She, uh, Ainsworth did a lot of studies in Uganda as well. Um, so they gave examples of cultures in Uganda where like, they're sort of like the kids all sleep in this tent. They all stay with this one adult who looks after them. All the other adults are doing other things. They had a tougher time developing secure attachments. Huh. Didn't they also, wasn't there the example of the uh, Israeli kib- kibbutz, kibbutz, kibbutzes? Oh, but um, basically yeah. these like, uh, like collective communities, mm-hmm. and so these kids were raised by multiple, yeah, yeah, um, yeah, yeah, like yeah, yeah, multiple caregivers, and they they were able to develop secure attachments. Yes, even though they didn't spend a ton of time with one caregiver, just because, like collectively, they I don't I can't I don't remember, remember exactly the exact reasoning, but yeah, that but was basically the case. like there were factors that, given what we have said, you would expect to lead to a non-secure attachment, but it but didn't. it didn't. Right. That's interesting. Yeah. So a lot of another thing to consider is that like, you know, when you're doing all these studies that we just talked about, if you do them just in like Western right. cultures, yes. just in America, something like that, you might not necessarily get something that applies across other cultures. Huh. A really good Which example of sense. that is there's generally accepted three different types of parenting styles, authoritative, authoritarian and what's the third one? <sighs> I always forget the name for it because it's like has such an obvious definition. Um, the, like, the third yeah. one is like so basically authoritative is you set boundaries and rules and stick to them, but provide reasons for your boundaries and rules. Authoritarian is providing boundaries and rules, but presumably never assuming that you need to give any reason for them and just strictly say, I'm your parent. You have to do these things that I say. And then then permissive parenting. Permissive parenting is basically lack of those rules. Um, In general, though this is by no means like 100% correlation, in general, um, secure attachments tend to come from authoritative parenting the most frequently. And people see a lot of harm in authoritarian parenting. However... One would note that a lot of Asian families seem to have authoritarian um, parenting styles and also extremely socially capable children. So that seems to go against it, right? What they found was the reasoning sort of behind this is that these, like, the families that were being successful in their authoritarian lifestyles were basically able to convey that they cared for and were putting the needs of the child first, even without necessarily giving them reasons for all the rules. It's really easy to do that when you're authoritarian parenting because every explanation for the rule is usually I'm doing this because if you do this thing, this bad thing will happen to you. So even if you don't like the thing your parents are saying, you know they're doing it because they actually care about you and don't want How to be hurt. How does that count as a reason and would there no, no, be that, authoritative? No, no, that's authoritative. I'm saying that's authoritative. Oh, oh that's oh, like okay. That's like why it's easier. In authoritar- authoritarian, it's harder to do that because you're not giving reasons, right? However, these families that were, these Asian families that were having success with authoritarian parenting styles were doing so because even though they were having these rules, they were still able to convey, no, but, but also like, 
I love you and support you and care for you and like am doing everything to like give you the best life. Huh. That's so, a really interesting like cultural distinction. Exactly. So yes. that's so what that's, it's, it stems and from. Prior prior to somebody doing this cross cultural study with these families, it just seemed like yeah, authoritarian is like always bad. And then someone did the study, and they're like, actually, it seems to pretty much have nothing to do with the rules <laughs> and everything to do with how much attention you give your child's needs, which comes a lot back to what we were saying before of with course. the secure attachments. Um, so there's like a ton more stuff that we just aren't I know. Do you want to talk about the fun. Freud thing real quick? quick yeah, it's related with, with to the this, monkeys. We'll be done. Oh, no. Oh, Freud. Oh, that was, oh. Yeah, just like really quick. So yeah, like sure, sure. people talk about Freud a lot. <laughs> psychology. Um, there's lots of oh, things no. Freud said that were like completely batshit, and then there's lots of things that he said that were like sort of on the right track ish yeah. um basically there's a few important things to note about freud the first one is that as a philosopher he has extremely interest interesting ideas that are definitely not psychology and he made a distinction <laughs> he made a distinction between his philosophical ideas and his psychological ideas second thing to note he's extremely important because he's the first one to do anything remotely close to the scientific method with regards to psychology super important third thing most of his exer- experiments were done on people with schizophrenia. Not necessarily the <laughs> most generalizable, like, group of people <laughs> to do your tests. Do we so, not all have schizophrenia? Right. So, <laughs> something he noted in particular, <laughs> he has, so he has this theory of drives, right? Where he has a pyramid of drives, where as you get lower down in the pyramid, you have more primal drives. So, things like hunger are like the bottom of the pyramid. You will not do anything above the pyramid, above hunger, if you're hungry. You'll attempt to do that first. I'm sure everyone listening to right now can think of a time when they avoided eating because there was some other thing like schoolwork, which would be way up on the pyramid (laughs) that came first for them, that they prioritized. So right off the bat, that sort of seems to potentially debunk this whole thing. So what he had, his idea of attachment theory is that attachment is caused by the desire to reduce the hunger drive and is therefore directly related to nourishment. However, anyone who's ever heard of the howler monkey there, experiment, yeah, monkeys, 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 monkeys. Basically <laughs> there was this really sort of awful experiment. It's very, um, it's really disturbing. It's to like, watch. it's one of those things where I like, learned about this and you're psych- sort of glad year, somebody, yeah, you're like glad somebody figured it out but it's really shitty that they had to do that in order to figure it out, and you're glad it's not allowed anymore. Basically, he took these baby monkeys, these adorable little baby monkeys, and he gave them two quote-unquote mothers. One was like cloth, yes. and one yep. was just like a wire, wire frame. Both had like Wh- milk, right? Well, no. no. Oh, no. Just Only the, wireframe. the wire one had milk. What he found was the monkeys would run over to the wireframe one, drink a little bit, and then run back and cuddle with the cloth one, basically completely debunking. This and when and when they were scared thing. with this crazy like right. robot yeah. that this guy made that like had blinking lights and loud sounds and shifting around, they just immediately ran to the cloth mother. Just right. Completely disregarded food entirely. Right. They're just like, so I'm scared. Need comfort. Clearly cloth. developed a s- not secure relationship, but <laughs> and some sort of attachment to the cloth mother, and they didn't develop any attachment at all to the wire mother. Um, they just realized that it was they basically also a feeding all thing. ended up like the monkey equivalent of autistic, regardless of what part of the experiment they were in, because they didn't have any moms and were constantly living in fear. Yeah, it was just, it was so basically it a was huge really psychological torture. Experiment really by awful. Act. Well, 
yeah, yeah. It's, hard so to it's very awful. Yeah. He, there's some interviews of him afterward that kind of make him seem like a crazy person. Yeah. Um, anyway, so, <laughs> uh, so yeah. But so basically the point is as horrendous as the outcomes of that, uh, study were, they did completely debunk the hunger drive thing. Um, you know, these like monkeys very obviously didn't give a shit about how hungry they were when they were scared. They were going to the comforting mother, which again plays into the importance of being attentive to your child's needs. Huh. So, all right. Well, I think we're pretty much out of time. I think we're we yeah, wrap yeah, it up. Yeah, yeah. But we I think that's a, that's a good note to end on. Yeah. Uh, the most important thing about being a parent is being attentive to your child's needs because it seems like that trumps every single other thing that could have possibly come up somewhere along the way. Also take videos of them learning like object yeah. permanence because that sounds absolutely hilarious. Yeah, mom, I'm going to need to see this One videos. more quick thing. So there's this yeah. little thing I just found in your notes that you had um, ah. that like sometimes the younger kids pay too much attention to surface attributes. For example... Oh, God, yes. If you put a dog mask on a cat and ask them what animal that is that they had previously identified as a cat, they'll be like, yeah, it's a, it's a dog. Because <laughs> <laughs> they're just looking Wait, at its so face. Meanwhile, this the is... cat has to be, like, freaking out. <laughs> so this is very much related to, like, a, a really hilarious anecdote that Goldstein told while we were in his class. He's like, so this is the professor of our psych class. A lot of the experiments that we learned about were actually his experiments. He's sort of, like, the cutting edge of language development. Um, language development research and so he's saying you know he was like one t he used to have a really long ponytail and these kids were walking out of his lab little kids and he said you know hey like like am i a boy or a girl and the kids are like you're a boy and he's like yeah okay and he turns around and he goes am i a boy or a girl and they're like y <laughs> you're a what you're a girl like I'm not like these kids literally like saw a ponytail and they're oh like three or four okay yeah they just instantly saw, saw a ponytail and we're like wait girls have ponytails shit I don't know probably a girl and that was it um, one last thing there is a yeah. four year old mayor somewhere uh, as of 2013 <laughs> yeah. I found this earlier uh, it's like a town of 22 to 28 people and they pick the mayor like it's not even a real thing like out of a hat. He got picked out of the hat and then also again the next time. So he went up for re-election, basically. That's um, hilarious. Yeah. He's four years. And he like apparently he teared up when he was re-elected. He was so happy about it. Oh, yeah. I was real happy about it. <laughs> yeah. That's pretty hilarious. I'm a mayor. What's a mayor? I don't know, but I'm one. <laughs> um, yeah. So, okay. Um, all right, folks. That's, that's all. That's babies and Thanks their brains. Thanks for listening to us. Um, this like is they're weird. Scientifically Speaking on CornellRadio.com. You're listening to Cage the Elephant. We'll see you next week. Bye.